remain standing, and we're going to read God's Word. It's on the front of your worship guide, your bulletin, from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 7th verse. We are doing a series of racing through the book of Genesis, and this morning we take a look at Noah. The writer of Hebrews summarizes the three and a half chapters of the book of Genesis of this remarkable life. Together as God's people, let's read this together out loud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's Word. By faith Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but that never will. Before we uh, open up God's Word together, uh, we take you by the marvel of our drama team to the most popular show around with a check-in from Noah to What's My Line. Welcome to What's My Line. Each week, through a series of questions, our celebrity panelists try to guess the occupation of our mystery guest. But to make it more difficult, they've got to do it while blindfolded. Let's meet our celebrities. We have first Bob Cummings. Thank you. Kitty Carlisle. And for the rock group hole, Courtney Love. Thank you all for playing our game. Okay, I think it's time that we meet our mystery guest. Panelist, blindfolds on. Mystery guest, would you sign in, please? All right. I believe it's time we start our questions. Bob, I believe you start the game. Thank you. Uh, mystery guest, are you famous? Yes. Five points, Bob. Kitty. You're famous. Wonderful. Then are you also rich? In what way, Kitty? But the usual way. Gold and jewels and such. No. Oh, that's five points for our guest. Courtney. Why are we wearing these masks? To prevent you from seeing our mystery guest. Courtney, could you please take your first question? Wow, you're really hairy. So I'm guessing you're like either really into grunge or you're some sort of biblical character, right? Uh, yes. That's five points, Courtney. Um, I'm sorry, I need to ask you, are you by any chance peeking? What are you saying, I'm cheating? Oh, no. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Bob, I believe it's your turn. So you're a biblical character. Are you from the Old Testament? Yes. Mm, Excellent, Bob. Five points. Kitty. I'll just take a wild stab here. Are you Eve? (laughs) No. But an excellent guess, Kitty. Okay, Courtney. Oh, I just remembered a character from the Bible. Are you like Jesus? No. Then are you like Moses? No. Ah, Moses, of course. Charlton Heston. How could I forget about him? Are you like Pharaoh? 
No. Ah, oh, the marvelous Yule Brenner and the horribly miscast Edward G. Robinson as the brother of Moses, whose name escapes me at the moment. Oh, are you that guy? Kitty, Miss Love, please. I'm so terribly sorry. There's only one guest per turn. Those are the only Bible characters I know. I'm like totally out, dude. I'm so terribly sorry. That's 15 points for our guest, Bob. We're... You involved with a large body of water? Yes. Excellent, Bob. Five more points. Oh, I remember this one. In Jesus Christ Superstar, the first act, did you change water into wine? Uh, no. That, again, would be Jesus, and we've already established that our guest is most definitely not Jesus. Courtney. What? Oh, my oh you know what? You had three guesses last time. We're going straight to Bob. Hey, that's, that's not fair. That's the way it is. <sighs> Look. No, no, no. Would you put your blindfold back on? Why? I'm looking right at him, and I still don't know who he is. Fine. Fine. You're out. Bob? Did your part of the Bible require a great amount of faith? Yes. Good, Bob. Five more points. Richard Gere was such a dream. And the critically lambasted David. Are you David? No. A Goliath? Who played Goliath? No. Kitty, please, one question per turn. How about Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Oh, I just love Andrew Lloyd. Oh, this is so much fun. I know lots more about the Bible than I thought I did. <laughs> okay, okay, Bob. I believe it's your turn for the rest of the show. That is so not fair. Are you like Billy Graham? No, no. No more guesses. You're out of here. Bob? Did it take you over 100 years to build an ark? Yes. That's five more points, Bob. You can go again or you could just take your final guess. Did you and your family repopulate the earth? Yes. Five oh, I more remember points. another one. Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. Are you Jesus? Kitty, her guest is not Jesus. Are you like Gandhi? No. <laughs> please, Courtney, you're out of order. Bob, please take your final guest now. 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 No. Did it rain a lot while you were on the ark? Yes. Five more points, Bob. Please, I will give you 50 points and $50 from my own pocket if you just take your final guess. Wait! I forgot all about Ben-Hur. Are you Jesus? Yes, Kitty. Uh, He's Jesus. I don't know how I missed that the first time. Really? I guess right? No, no. If he was Jesus... Not two minutes ago, and wasn't Jesus four minutes ago, then why would he be Jesus now? But if he's Jesus, couldn't he do anything? <laughs> Bob, please, please, before I have an aneurysm, could you please take your final guess? Are you possibly, by any chance, Noah? Yes! Wow! What a surprise! What? Noah? Who played Noah? I'm a Buddhist. I don't even know why they asked me to be on this show. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have today. Please join us next time on Whose Line Is It? it on What's My Line? What is my line?
so easy to preach after those things. I, uh, you know, when you take a look at this remarkable life, Noah. We said we began a series last week of learning. We're going to try, by God's grace, in two years to uh, preach through the Bible, so we got to go really fast. But we saw last week that Genesis, like Revelation, is one of the most controversial books. And the reason why is protology, first things, has symbolism and literalism, as well as eschatology, which means last things, like Revelation. The argument is over what is literal, what's symbolic, but it's always authoritative. Last week we saw the first chapter that God is the sovereign creator and the world exists by his word for his purpose. We now come to one of the more controversial areas and that is Noah. Genesis 1 through 11, early protology, it seems so strange, like people living 800, 900 years. By the time and next time we look at Abraham, chapters 12 through 50, that when you go on with the other patriarchs, that it seems that we relate more to it. So why study Noah? Well, because the Holy Spirit thought we should have three and a half chapters on him in Genesis. Jesus mentions Noah several times. Peter mentions Noah. And the writer of Hebrews, which is you read. And I believe the bold brush stroke. Remember we talked about impressionist paintings. If you look too close at the details, you miss the picture. But I believe in these first protology that God paints with a bold brush. And what he teaches us, the writer of Hebrews summarized for us. By faith, Noah listened to God. By faith, Noah saved his loved ones. And by faith, Noah received the promises of God Almighty. And my brothers and sisters, it doesn't take a lot of water to drown. If you're face down, six inches will do it. But I give you God's word. If we learn the lessons of Noah, there's not a storm or a flood coming out here that will ever sink your boat. If you have your Bible, turn with me back to Genesis. And let's start at the second chapter. We'll do a real fast survey. We saw last week the creation, the first account. In the second chapter, it focuses in more on the creation of man and woman together. Then in the third chapter, sin comes into the world. Remember, the serpent didn't bring sin into the world. Adam and Eve's disobedience. And they become slaves of the lower laws and death is introduced. And they are cast from the garden. In the fourth and fifth chapter, you begin to see the beginnings of early civilization and history. And there are these people that live this 800, 900 years like Methuselah and others and Ham and them. And yet God also says 120 years is the years that you will live And the question comes along, why does God tell us these things? Well, the basic point is, God is a God of history. And He's involved in our histories. You know, life is not a circle. You don't live it over time and time and time again. There is not a hint about reincarnation. In fact, it says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. History matters. And what you have done in your life up to now... And what you are going to do in your life when you leave here this morning matters. And then we get over here in chapter 6 to Noah. Told you we'd go fast. In the sixth chapter, and starting in verses 5 to 8, and uh, we'll read this together if we have with our Pew Bible. If you brought your own version, uh, just hum a mighty fortress in the background. But let's read verses 5 through 8 together out loud. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that He had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. By faith, Noah was able to hear God. 150 years ago, a British archaeologist doing a dig in present-day Iraq discovered the library of a king called Ashurbanipal. And there, an Assyrian king, he discovered an old Babylonian story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it rocked the biblical world. And the reason it did was because there was a parallel creation creation and flood account that was centuries older than the biblical account. In fact, in the story, there is Gilgamesh. It's kind of like Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey. It's a collection of stories. And in one of the stories, there is this gentleman by the name of Utnapishtim. Wouldn't you love to name your kid that? (laughs) Hey, Ut, come on in here, but... There is a god named Ea, and the gods can't get any sleep at night, so they're going to destroy the world. Ea, one of the gods, warns Utnapishtim, and he makes an ark, and he puts animals on it, and he sails, and the world is flooded, and at the end they make a sacrifice, and the gods hover around it. Well, what do you do with that? In fact, if you do your homework in anthropology, there are hundreds of flood stories in stories of origin throughout different religions. Well, either one, maybe the Hebrews borrowed from the Babylonian, the Akkadian account of the Epic of Gilgamesh, and maybe they put their own meaning into it. Or maybe all flood stories are just myth anyway. There's not any fact behind it. Or as I believe, in the collective consciousness of humankind, there is this memory of this cataclysmic event. And the authoritative story, the one that God wants you to have, is in your Bible. And there's a lot of debate over whether was it a whole world flood, the canopy theory that there was this envelope of moisture where there's no rain yet, because after the flood, ages start to drop and maybe radiation did that. Maybe it was a localized flood. A couple of university professors from the University of Columbia discovered, remember a few years ago, that the Black Sea had flooded 60,000 years ago or so, just monsters amount of water and civilizations underneath. You know, the point being... Who cares? (laughs) There was a huge, huge flood, and the story is told of what God is doing with Noah. And very often in all the debate, we miss the point of what God is trying to say. Like the uh, truck driver went in to get breakfast, and he's in a cafeteria, and a couple of, about six or seven Hells Angels, a biker gang, pulled up, and they saw him sitting there. They'd give him trouble, and they walked in. He was sitting at the counter, and one of them came over and took a bite of his eggs, and the guy didn't do anything. Another one grabbed his coffee and drank it down and looked at him and pushed him. He didn't do anything. One of them took his hat and put it on, and the driver just quietly got up and paid his breakfast and walked out and drove off. One of the bikers said to the guy behind the counter, well, he wasn't much of a man, was he? And the waiter said, no, and he wasn't much of a driver. He just drove over six Harleys out there on the way out, you know. (laughs) And very often in all the discussion we get going on, we miss really where the drive is going. So here, 
Noah found favor. Do you know that if everybody in this entire world was living for themselves and just pleasure and sex and money and mean-hearted, and you walked with God, one of you, God would see. God is incredibly detailed and discerning between those who do right and those who do wrong. And nothing ever passes God by. And here the whole world, and when it says God was grieved, it's the same Hebrew word that when David's son Absalom was killed, when he had tried to kill him, and he said, Absalom, my son, my son, I would have died in your place. That's the word. God says, look at humankind, the men and women. You cannot contain sin. You would have a better chance of taking the Ebola virus and trying to keep it in your mouth and it not spreading to the rest of your body than you and I think we can sin in one area of our life and keep it contained there. And it spread throughout all of creation. And God said, I am going to put an end to this. But what's he going to do with Noah? So Noah, because he listens to God, and look what God says to him. He says in verse 11, The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw all of it. And God said to Noah, verse 13, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. And then he says, Now make for yourself an ark. There is a difference between hearing and listening. It is the faith of Noah. He is a righteous man that when God speaks, he recognizes. And Bel Air, you pray for me, pray for all of our pastors that are up here. I want so bad for us not just to hear God, but to listen to him. If you're not spending time with God, and you're never reading his word, and you're never with brothers and sisters that can help you discern, God will never talk to you. Not because he's not speaking, but because you've got fingers in your spiritual ears running around. And all of us know the difference between when we tell our kids or our animals, our pets, the difference between they're hearing you and they're listening, it's when they obey. I had a dog, beautiful dog, dumbest creature on the face of the earth. Every time there was, we'd take up to the mountains, a porcupine, wouldn't you think he would learn, don't bite those things? And his face would just be covered in quills, and you have to bring him and pull him out. He must have done this four times. And after a while, you'd think he learned. He never did. But we'd always say to him, no. <laughs> right. Like that made a big difference. God says to us a lot of times, don't you think? He says, don't you think they'll ever learn? What is the learning potential of these? Now, is Christianity irrational? Here's Noah. It's never rained yet. He's building a boat. They don't know what a boat is yet. A big ark. And he's building it in the middle of a desert. Does this look very sound in thinking? It's not irrational. It's super rational. It's not irrational when someone who has all the answers gives you the data for you to obey it. And when you come walking in here, you don't unscrew your head at the curb out there. In fact, Jesus added, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And Jesus added in Luke, and your mind. You bring all the cortex that God has given to you when you come and that you worship Him. And so there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is when you, can, is when you just know what something is. Wisdom is when you know why it is and how to apply it. I have a friend who's one of the greatest mechanics I have ever seen. This guy can fix anything. He can put an engine for, together forward and back, blindfolded, and he doesn't even have a driver's license. He is so bad at driving. 
I'm not making this up. A brilliant technician mechanic. If you give him your car, you deserve it. (laughs) Just because he knows how something runs doesn't mean he can run it. And there are some people that know this word forward and backward, and they know things about the economy and psychology, and their lives are going nowhere. Why? Because they're not listening to God. But when you take the simple word of God and you apply it to your life, man, do things move. So not only is it by faith that he heard, but he loved, he saved his loved ones. Look at, turn over to the seventh chapter. Verse one. And then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. Then he talks about the animals. And in verse five, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Notice God loves his creation. He, this plague of disease of sin is going to but he's going to save his creation. He cares about this creation out there, and so should we. So the old joke of what Noah said to his boys on the boat, take it easy with the fishing, we've only got two worms. <laughs> and you know, there's all this debate, you know, about all different things. We won't go off in that direction. God cares about this. And so, but he saves his loved ones. Do you think his family knew what Pops was doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Noah? And he's 500, building an ark. <laughs> How long have you been doing it? A hundred years. Why? It's going to rain. What's rain? You know? Why do they get on? Because they trust Noah. His life was such integrity. Do your friends and your family, do they trust you enough that they know how much you love the Lord? Not because you play, quote, verses at them, or I'm more holy than you. But do they know that you love the Lord because of the way you love them? I promise you, your highest highs and your lowest lows will be with your family. And as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, nothing breaks our heart more than when we have our children or our parents or our brothers and sisters that are heading for hell and you've told them and you've prayed for them. How can you save them? The answer is, you and I can't save anybody. It's all up to Christ. But the good news is, God loves them more than you do. And you can't force them to get on the boat, but boy, you can make them have to swim upstream to get away from your love and God's love. And that God believes in prayer. Have you noticed that? God believes in evangelism, even if we don't. And he'll never take away free will from somebody. But by faith, Noah cared enough and they got on board with him. Paul says an interesting thing in 1 Corinthians 7th chapter. He was talking about the Greeks and the Romans when they came to Jesus. One spouse would be a believer and the other wouldn't. And I know many of us in here have that family set up. He said, don't leave them. Then he says this weird thing. Because you sanctify the whole family, your children. One woman or man in a family, even if they're not believers, Paul in some way says, sanctifies the whole family. You can't help a relationship you're not in. And so though you cannot force our family or our friends to become believers, but by staying in relationship with them and loving the Lord, there is great power in that. And then you know in chapter 7 and 8 that there is flood is there. And finally, after he's at sea about a year, and then the water is dispersed away and he lands on Mount Ararat. And then look in the 8th chapter in the 20th verse, as soon as he gets off and they all get off a brand new world, Not only did by faith Noah save his loved ones, but he received God's promise. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. And then God makes a sign. He hangs his bow, his warrior bow, in the sky. And for the first time, there's a rainbow. Because for the first time, there is rain. And God said, I will never again declare war on the world. And do you know why? Because God took his bow, and with his perfect justice, he pulled it back, and it flew through the centuries, and it pegged through someone's heart on the middle of that cross. And God's heart quivered, and he died. His only son. God wouldn't declare war on the world anymore because God declared war on sin in Christ. And that's why the church has used the ark. All the Renaissance painters in the Middle Ages, there's so many pictures of Noah in the ark because the ark was a typology of coming into the safety of Christ and his believers, the body of Christ, the church. And that's why I tell you, God isn't angry or declaring war on us or the world anymore. But let me tell you this. A few things to learn. As the writer of Hebrews said, By faith Noah, being warned concerning events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness of faith. You're either going to try to let the world pay you off for how you behave, or you're going to let God pay you off. And I want to tell you, God pays off big time. The blessings and the joy... And someday there's not going to be a flood coming of water anymore, but there will be a flood of God's presence. Someday Jesus Christ himself is going to come back and stand, and every man, woman, and child is going to stand in front of him. And if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because you have given your heart to Christ because of his call, then there is safety. He will say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Otherwise, the gates of God's perfect justice are going to break loose, and you do not want to be there. So what's the bottom line of Noah? First of all, Get on the boat. You know, we do so much. We study about boats. We have classes on boats. We even go down and watch other people get in boats. We interview people. We've heard you've been on a boat. Yes, I've been on a boat. We have masters and graduate seminaries where we give degrees of boat making out there. But you know, if you don't get on the silly boat, it does you no good. And every Sunday, just like you're doing right now, come and to learn God's Word and to get on... Sunday night for the college group over here in the Evans Chapel or Tuesday night at the refinery or, or with Rock or with Thursday night, one that is there or men and women in the small groups or in the student ministries or get on one of these mission trips where you get to learn to grow about Christ. Get on the boat. That's where not only the safety is, the joy is. Second of all, we're on the same boat, okay? <laughs> when you're mad at me and you come and shoot a hole at the end of my boat... And you're on it, it does you no good. <laughs> and the body of Christ is remarkable. That's why we're praying that all the churches along Ventura Boulevard and coming up over the 405 and down over in Wilshire, those churches that we can unite with, hopefully in stepping across racial and denominational and economic lines, those that love the Lord, we're in the same boat together. And when we put the oar in the water together, I tell you, this city can be a lot different. In our area, we can't take on all of L.A., but this side of the hill and this side of the hill and all the people who are stuck in traffic on 405, that's our assignment right there. (laughs) 
And as we come together, plan ahead. Can I be honest with you? There are storms coming. And there are storms coming that are going to make anything you've gone through look like a sunny day. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But I tell you, you be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. Your boat is not going to sink. And the storm is not going to last forever. God is a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Almighty God, I thank you that in your power, in your sovereignty, that when your holiness demanded justice, and you are a just God, that your love provided grace. God, I thank you for a faithful man like Noah in a very spiritual, careless times. And Lord, you said through your son that as the days of Noah it will be when the Son of Man comes back, that everybody will be running around as though life is normal and suddenly you'll appear. And Lord, I thank you that we don't need to be caught off guard. Thank you, God, for the safety of the ark of your son's love and the provision you have given of your church. And so, God, I pray for us at Bel Air that as we move ahead, that, Lord, we'd not be afraid of the storms, that we'd reach out and love others and help to the day that you return. Maranatha, Lord, send him back soon. For his sake we pray. Amen.